For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. We're back. Sims complete with a new edition. Uh, what are you talking about? I didn't know we were going to do an old edition. But, yes, with a week 13 review right now, Sims complete. I am all by my lonesome again this week. I beat the crap out of Big Phil when he beat me in picks this past weekend. So, uh, you know, he's still recovering from that. You know, I took a few cheap shots at him, you know, beat him up a little bit. And uh, he'll, he'll be back next week. But. He needed some time to recover a little TLC, uh, you know, and uh, we'll, we'll see him again next week. But, yeah, Sims Complete, we're back. Week 13 review, and it was another exciting, telling week again about the NFL and something that I always like to say, you know, every week that we think we know something, that we learned a little bit more about the rest of the league and where everyone stands, we realize that we really don't know a damn thing about anything. But uh, glad to have you back with us, powered by Believe. Uh, thank you to Believe Network, IMP Studios here for everything that they do here for us in this great studio. It's beautiful and uh, always excited to talk a little ball, uh, as always. Uh, so, you know, the big news, I think, really, or, or the big matchup from this past weekend is is the San Francisco 49ers and the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, that game. And what what an amazing game that was, really, just for a lot of the 49ers fans out there, of course, but also, too, for us as fans to really see finally something that we had alluded to a few different times the Eagles don't look super sharp as a football team they kept winning uh, in spite of not maybe playing their best football their best complimentary football offensively defense special teams all that but it was hard for us to be super critical of them because they were a 10-1 football team they were doing well they were winning and they were playing tough making big-time plays late in football games, making clutch football plays with Jalen Hurts, that offense, game-winning drives consistently. So it was hard for us to really go against the grain too aggressively because they just kept getting it done. We see now finally, right, the weaknesses that we were, you know, hinting at, that we were kind of trying to let everyone know that were there, how evident they were, right? And this is what happens, I think, when – you know, for one, let's just start with this. I said it to, to Big Phil in past weeks. I think it's really important for teams to have those moments uh, of failure during the season, right? Because those moments of failure, I think, really start to, you know, allow the coaching staff, the players to really look more internally about what's working, what doesn't work, why did we get exploited in this certain aspect of the game, how can we then go about coaching it fundamentally, scheme and tactics-wise, to not let it repeat itself? The good thing for Philadelphia is that there's not a lot of teams that are built like San Francisco that are talented, uh, physical, and creative on the offensive side of the football. The other aspect, though, too, it, it does seem like the defense, although talented, especially in their defensive front, 
you know, there is weaknesses at the linebacker position at times and even on the back end, too, when they don't get home consistently, right? And that was, I, I think, really one of the more important points to this football game. You know, to start off with some stats that I think are extremely important with this one. The San Francisco 49ers had 28 rush attempts for 146 yards. The Eagles had 18 rush attempts for 46 yards. And that is a huge piece to me in this puzzle. When the San Francisco 49ers have the ability to move the Philadelphia Eagles' talented defensive line from sideline to sideline, right, and really make them cover the entire field, both horizontally and downfield vertically, even though Big Phil would probably roll his eyes at that comment, right? That is where I feel like you get the best from this offense. And that's what we got from, from the San Francisco 49ers in this game. Started a little bit slow, but then reel off six scoring uh, drives in a row after that. And you could tell that the, the Eagles defensively weren't really sure how to attack as the game continued to go. Right. And this is something that we had mentioned before. The Eagles do a lot defensively. They try to mix up their coverages. So at the end of the game there, you start to see them become a little bit more aggressive, forcing the hand of the 49ers to be aggressive. Right. Or, you know, to, to force them to make a mistake. And of course, in that situation, Kyle Shanahan and his experience as a head coach and play caller, he knows that that will be the counter right from them from defensively. Right. From that standpoint. So that's where he hits Debo Samuel with a quick wide receiver screen where he's essentially untouched, you know, for a 60-yard play. And those are, I think, the, 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 the chess games that were being played on the field for this team. One, the skill group for the San Francisco 49ers with McCaffrey, Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk, you know, even Juwan Jennings and what he does and brings to the table. Kyle Juszczyk and how he's used in, in some of those personnel switch-ups for their play-action passing in their run game, too. It, it is a monster of a group to slow down consistently. Add in the fact that Kyle really knows how to dial a place, how to build plays on top of each other. So many coaches, I feel like, just run plays to run them. They like this play on first down. Then they like this play on second down. When you watch San Francisco and, and you see how they go about dissecting defenses consistently week after week, there is a symphony to the play calling. There is a rhyme and a reason. The outside zone, we're trying to see how this weak side linebacker plays. Does he overrun his gap responsibility? If so, we're going to come back with a fake outside zone, reverse to Debo Samuel with George Kittle leading it up. You know, and these are things that I think really start to be, you know, they're more noticeable, obviously, as the game goes on because they're noticing it from their coaching staff. They're saying, yes, we have this player out of place, overplaying it because we're having success at the point of attack with the original play then the original play has the secondary play built off of it. And when you have that sort of symphony offensively, this is why, you know, someone like Brock Purdy, who everyone, you know, continues to say, you know, yeah, he might not be the most talented, this or that, and all that kind of stuff. But this is how someone who is not, you know, talented still is able to go for 19 of 27 for 314 and four tutties and throw in great rhythm do a great job of getting the football out on time, going to the right place at the right time, even when there was free rushers at him in the pocket. And, and, and this is why, again, when 
the San Francisco 49ers are firing all cylinders, why we were so excited about them earlier in the year, and why, again, this matchup proves to us why we get so excited about this football team. They are a dangerous football team uh, on multiple facets. And now let's dive into why they're dangerous on the defensive side. Steve Wilkes, first-time defensive coordinator for them this year, right, stepping into a role that obviously, you know, Coach Sala has done a great job in. You know, then we had D'Amico Ryans, who did a phenomenal job. They move on to their other opportunities as head coach. And now Steve Wilkes enters into this arena with this football team that's already kind of built to be successful. We saw a few struggles early on where maybe he wasn't playing, you know, his cards the way that they would have liked him to have played it. Uh, that being said, they still had opportunities to make plays when they were there. You know, I go back to that Minnesota play, right, where they hit the big touchdown there before half, cover zero, but it really was an interception by Ward that was ripped out of the hands, out of his hands by by Addison. But I think those losses, right, those failures, whether it be coaching, whether it be execution, really allowed this team to then go back to the lab and think about, what is the best way for us defensively to maximize the potential that we have? Go and get Chase Young, opposite of uh, Nick Bosa. Now you get more production out of the entire defensive line. We're going to get to the defensive line here a little bit too, Phil, all right? Season that one. But when you start to have that ability, right, to now play it exactly the way that the GM and head coach designed the team, this is what we saw. Now, what was interesting is, is that I thought the secondary did a phenomenal job of slowing down the uh, Philadelphia passing attack. Philadelphia, I think, and something that we've discussed multiple times, that they don't do a ton schematically to confuse you, right? They don't do a ton where they're trying to trick you. They really just think that, you know, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, we're going to get them open in space with simple concepts, and they're going to kind of do the rest. And then allowing Jalen Hurts with great pass protection to scramble, make plays, and throw the football down the field, you know, on broken plays, which he does a phenomenal job with. The problem is with the 49ers, they're skillful enough on the outside, in the secondary, right, in the front four, right, with their linebackers. They don't have to take a ton of risk against the Philadelphia Eagles offensively. They can rush four and let Greenlaw and Warner run around freely to clean up the run game, but then also to be great in pass coverage, to collapse running lanes on Jalen Hurts when he does scramble and buy time for himself. And I think that really was the, the, a big tell for me for the Philadelphia Eagles, that when you play a team that is equally as athletic as you are in multiple facets of the team, but also has a, a skill set and a coaching staff that understands how to utilize their players in the best of their ability. They did a really good job, I think, of slowing down, you know, guys like A.J. Brown. There was a lot of plays where, you know, A.J. Brown was contacted pretty aggressively past five yards down the field. That, to me, was a sign that San Francisco played this very similar to a playoff type of game where we're going to be aggressive, we're going to get hands on these receivers early, we are going to be over-aggressive even after that five-yard mark, and we're going to force the, the referees to say, are you going to throw a pass interference call every single time? You know, which they didn't. And I think you saw A.J. Brown get frustrated a few times, too, with how uh, aggressive the corners were 
especially down the field on some of those concepts. This is also why I feel like you didn't see A.J. Brown separate when Jalen Hurts got out of the pocket so many times because I think physically they kind of wore him out in this football game. Devontae Smith did a good job too, right? Of course, you know, that Batman and Robin tandem, they're, they're hard to stop completely, but they never were really let out to the point where they were changing the game dramatically for the Philadelphia Eagles. And, and that was interesting to me too. The other interesting fact was I thought Jalen Hurts was protected extremely well. Now there was three sacks by the San Francisco defense. Kinlaw had two, Davis had one. But for the most part, I thought that the Philadelphia offensive line kicked butt. I thought that, you know, Lane Johnson on Nick Bosa did a phenomenal job. Now, of course, Bosa won a few of those matchups and caused Jalen Hurts to move out of the pocket, but it was few and far between. And I think the offensive line really did a phenomenal job of winning that matchup consistently throughout the football game. I thought Jalen Hurts had multiple seconds to sit back there diagnose what he saw, scramble, buy time, you know, on plays that typically resulted in explosive plays or touchdowns, and which in one case it did, but not to the point where it was consistent what we've seen with the Philadelphia Eagles throughout the game. Big thing for me, for the Eagles, is it's a good loss. It's good that you lost. Now, I'm sure Eagles fans went from being, we're the best team in the world, right? No one can stop us to now they're probably, you know, they think the world is falling apart, right? Because of the way that they lost. I think this is good for the Eagles. This was a tough matchup for them too in multiple ways, right? Because of the personnel, because of the coaching and the scheme part of it, but also too because they're playing uh, a lot of games in a short period of time, whereas San Francisco 49ers, you know, they were a little fresher than the Eagles. So there's that to kind of take, in, take into a, a, a situation like this as far as how they looked on the field. Uh, it was good too for the 49ers to look, you know, physically dominant at times as far as being on top of what the Eagles are trying to do schematically, but then also, too, the offensive line for them, the San Francisco offensive line, being able to minimize those one-on-one matchups that were uh, the result of Brock Purdy's injury a year ago. You know, didn't see a lot of those. Brock Purdy was protected extremely well on his side of the football, too. Making great decisions, throwing the football on time and in rhythm. Like I said, with just... Free runners occasionally, the touchdown to Jennings, free runner off the edge in that play, got the football out on time, great throw where he can catch and run and then be physical. And that's really what you see, right, from from San Francisco is that precision passing where receivers aren't breaking stride, but then also short completions that go for big plays. You know, two touchdown throws that Brock Purdy had where he's throwing Debo Samuel a, a little in cut very similar play to what we see Philadelphia run a lot, but he catches it. He runs for a long touchdown where he breaks a tackle by a linebacker, then outruns the Eagles secondary. So the physicality and the speed displayed on one play. Then the Debo Samuel screen where it's his ability to catch the ball at the line of scrimmage, find a lane, and then take off to the house and outrun the secondary again. But also the physicality of that play. The San Francisco 49ers had two blocks on that one that were pancakes. So getting their athletes the football in space while having a physical element to it to go with that creativity, really, I think, it it took the Eagles by surprise. It never allowed them to be the bullies in the football game where typically, even when they're being quote-unquote outplayed, 
they're typically the bullies. And I feel like this was the opposite. San Francisco really was the bully in this one. And it was hard for the Eagles to respond and get some sort of momentum, both offensively and defensively, consistently to the point to slow down San Francisco. And, and this is why I think this was a fun matchup. For, for both of these teams, San Francisco's been through it. They've come out the other end now. They know exactly kind of who and what they are and how to maximize it. Philadelphia surviving, getting by, best team in the NFC right now, even though some people think that San Francisco is. I actually think San Francisco probably is the best team in the NFC too, but best record in the NFC right now. But really great time, I think, to reflect on what is working for them, what is not working for them. And defense, what we thought was a strength for Philadelphia, especially with their defensive line of late, you could see why they made the move for Bayard to get him into the lineup, right, and, and get that trade from Tennessee. You can see why it is so prevalent for them to get pressure with their front four consistently because there it does seem to be holes on the back end for this defense. If you protect them up well and don't get overrun physically by that defensive front in Philadelphia, you could take advantage of them in the back end by what they do. So I'll be curious to see kind of what their – their counter will be after this loss going up against Dallas in the next week. And Dallas will be an interesting matchup. Dallas is a different football team than what they were earlier in the year. And they're doing a little bit more. They're asking more from their players. They're getting more of their playmakers involved offensively. Dak is playing great football. So I'm curious to see how Philadelphia will manage this situation differently or will they kind of go back to this work the first time, it's going to work the next time. So we'll see kind of how that plays out. Uh, we discussed, you know, both defensive fronts and how, you know, really both offensive lines, I think, at times won a lot of those battles, big picture. You know, I go back again, the Philadelphia Eagles, they have to be more consistent running the football. 18 carries for 46 yards is not going to do it. Quarterback draws with Jalen Hurts is not going to do it. It worked against Buffalo. You know, we were crowning them for that victory against the 6-6 six and six football team at the time. Nobody thinks Buffalo is a Super Bowl contender. So I think we got a little too overexcited with you know, uh, or at least some people on TV and in the media world of like, look what they did to Buffalo. Listen, you know, no one thinks that highly of Buffalo. So I, I thought we kind of prematurely crowned them after that victory. They won a tough football game where they were basically outplayed. So we knew how gritty they were. We knew how tough they were, right? How tough they were, are. Um, that's big. But going forward, San Francisco is a team that you're going to see in the playoffs. Dallas is a more talented team than Buffalo. You know, uh, e even a Minnesota defense can be frustrating at times if they can survive, right? It seems like they're kind of falling back. A much improved Green Bay team now all of a sudden, you know, pulling out and, and figuring out how to win football games. The Los Angeles Rams, a sneaky football team, you know, and that'll be curious, you know, if they can gain a little bit more momentum going into it. But that's, I think, really the big picture here is for the Philadelphia Eagles is you've been winning, you're getting by, what is the next move? to really make your identity known on the offensive line more prevalent in your play calling. Got to run the football more. Have to control the line of scrimmage with that run game more consistently. Jalen Hurts, I would say, he's a great playmaker, no doubt. He's a great player in crutch, uh, clutch situations for this football team. There's no doubt about that. Dude is as steadfast as anyone in the NFL. What I have a little bit of an issue with Jalen Hurts is, 
we never see Jalen in that offense just drop back and throw anything in rhythm, right? And everything is – it's either quick because it's pressure and this is the pressure answer or the one-on-one shot down the field on a go route versus pressure man coverage. All right, great. But other than that, I don't see a lot of rhythm timing passing where it's going through the progression and cutting up teams with our scheme and with our ability to read defenses, cut it up. You know, and versus good defenses, versus talented defenses, versus fast and physical defenses like the few that we just mentioned, I feel like that has to be something that is improved upon by this Philadelphia Eagles offense to really be a Super Bowl contender like they think. And to survive the way that I feel like Jalen has gotten away with here so far, you know, through 12 games of the season with, you know, hitting those one-on-ones, but then kind of scrambling because he's protected extremely well and then making the -the off-the-cuff plays to go along with some of his, you know, opportunistic running. It's not going to be consistent enough, I think, to go through the playoffs and then to ultimately win a Super Bowl. If you win on first and second down versus the Philadelphia Eagles and you take away their best play, which is the Philly push, I think their offense at times is kind of basic and they really need to uh, be a little bit more aggressive with trying to create opportunities for their skilled players, especially in space, the way that we saw San Francisco. One of the things, too, that I want to kind of point out for this past week that I really noticed, which was interesting, um, you know, now moving away from that that Philly-San Francisco game is – the three-headed coaching monster tree of Kyle Shanahan with Mike McDaniel and Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur and the Green Bay Packers offense with Jordan Love, to me, really started to figure out what they're doing. Big Phil and I discussed it last week, how Jordan Love seems to be finding his groove now. He's throwing the ball more effectively. You know, Big Phil mentioned, wouldn't want him to stay on his back foot so consistently all the time when he's throwing, right, to – to, to guide the football at times. But, man, you know, this last week against Kansas City and what he did against, you know, arguably one of the better defenses in the league, got to give your 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 got to take your hat off, you know, to this young man and to this offense and their skill guys and what they're doing. You know, Dobbs, Watson, Reed, uh, Wicks, it, 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 you know, uh, Kraft, you know, it's just what they're doing from a, a skill – skill point position with their young guys and then to go with the scheme again of this offense is really interesting and then then add on to it AJ Dillon and his physical running game this is a really interesting football team this is a team that I think is trending in the right direction that now really does have their identity of having that speed and finesse to go along with the physical aspect of AJ Dillon's running and then Jordan Love's ability to have great throws uh, with great precision down the field, but then also to make the easy, easy consistently too, like we saw with San Francisco, you know, against the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's where I feel like it's really interesting for the Green Bay Packers, young football team, one of the youngest, if not the youngest football team in the NFL. Great skill group, an exciting skill group. Hopefully Watson is healthy and that's not something that lingers. It looked like it might have been his hamstring again, but Got to like where this team is trending. Got to like where this quarterback is trending. More importantly for me, have to be excited about what Matt LaFleur is doing and finding his own identity and voice as a play caller and as a head coach again, now with 12 removed here in with the New York Jets. 
you know, it, it's hard to kind of implement exactly how you think and feel uh, uh, from, you know, the coaching tree that he came from when the other quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, has been so successful in the offense for so long, doing what has made him a great quarterback. Now we're truly seeing what Matt LaFleur had learned and experienced with Kyle Shanahan, with Mike McDaniel, what they did offensively for all those years in Atlanta and San Francisco, um, and even his experience with Sean McVay, too, for that short period of time. It, I think all of these things have really allowed him now to take advantage of what he does specifically extremely well. He's getting his playmakers open in space consistently, mixing in with the formations, the shifts and motions, the physical downhill running game to go along with the gadget plays of just playing free and having calculated risks, which something that Big Phil and I love about great offensive play callers. So that is really exciting. Mike McDaniels and what he's doing right with this Miami offense is ridiculous. It really is. 45 points against the Commanders. Now, I know the Commanders' defense, you know, is – they stink for a lack of a better term, right? And, you know, with the firing of their defensive quarter and now Ron Rivera is the defensive quarter, you know, just – they're a team that obviously, uh, you know, doesn't feel great about themselves right now. But everyone in the league knows that Tyree Kill is the most dominant, impactful player on the field each and every week. This team routinely finds ways – to get this dude the football, you know, and for Tyreek Hill again to be as impactful as he has been right in this game, it, it just shows you again that just the creativity of this offense and what they do to get him the football. You have to be excited about it. You have to start to consider them as a real threat in the playoffs. I know that they haven't won the big time games against the real contenders yet. But we also have to be as equally impressed with the fact that when Miami plays a bad team, they make them look really, really bad. And they exploit them to another degree. So great teams, although they haven't had great wins versus another great team yet, or what we thought as a great team yet, great teams also destroy bad football teams. And that's something that they have done consistently. And, and that's where I feel like you have to kind of tip your hat to what they're doing and where they're they're trending as far as a football team and what they're they're capable of uh the defense seems to be coming along too as we go you know obviously being healthy on the back end you know is big the injury to Phillips is devastating but the firepower offensively the creativity again getting their playmakers open in space consistently I think is something that is unmatched in the NFL in a lot of lot of ways except for the other two teams that we just mentioned with the San Francisco 49ers and uh, the Green Bay Packers, and, and that's what's really cool. And what I want to really, you know, hone in on here in this situation for, you know, these three coaches, one, they spend a lot of time with each other. Two, they're all head coaches now at three individual places, right, and doing a great job, right? doing a great job of kind of using what they've taught from that, you know, John Gruden coaching tree all those years ago and morphing it into what works for them best. What I really find fascinating, though, is that I think all of these guys right now are cherry-picking off of each other. So many similarities with formations, motions, scheme and plays to where – it's almost impossible for me to think that these three individuals are thinking on the same level of consciousness this consistently, right, 
to where it just happens to be working this way. I almost feel like these three individuals are saying, this is what we did last week. All right, hey, let's go see what Kyle did. Let's go see what Mike did. Let's go see what Matt did and kind of mix in what they're doing creatively and kind of adding it to their playbook as well. You know, it just, it's so consistently familiar when you watch these three teams play San Francisco, Miami, and Green Bay, that you cannot deny the fact that these guys are absolutely, you know, believing in the other, right. For their, their, you know, mental prowess on the football field, play calling ability, creativity, that they all are just like, yeah, I like what he's doing. Let's take this play, add it to our stuff. I like this motion. I see why he did this because I've been in meeting rooms with this man. I know that this motion, he's trying to attract this defender in this space to take advantage of. And I think that's what's really cool too. And this is, again, things that we had mentioned to each other in the past on this show is that great teams watch what other great teams are doing and then try to implement those uh, concepts to their play calling in their own way, their own verbiage, their own formation or personnel and utilize it as best as they can. These guys know each other extremely well. They respect each other to a whole other degree, friends uh, on and off the field, you know, and what they did collectively was impressive. What they're doing separately is equally as impressive and very cool to see that even though they are separated, you know, across the country, you can definitely tell that these guys are are trying to check out what the other one is doing and then mix in, you know, some of those things, those movements, that creativity into their own offense too. And it's really cool that that they're kind of piggybacking off of each other and making that effective. Um want to transition now a little bit to just uh the the MVP race real quick, right? There is no standout quarterback. And just for everyone too, we're going to be a we're going to try to be a little bit quicker right today just because Big Phil's not here and you don't want to listen to me talk the entire time cuz you know, you know, I'm a nerd, but you know, I want to go a little bit into the MVP race. And also because me and Big Phil made it made a bet a few weeks ago that, you know, the winner gets $1,000. And he was saying he's taking the the field of quarterbacks over the skill groups or whoever that would be potentially available to win that award. I'm going to go back and just show you a few names of why I think it should not be a quarterback to prove my point And hopefully, you know, just put into, you know, the, the world out there, you know, to manifest it in some degree, the ability of maybe someone other than a quarterback winning the MVP. Going to start with, you know, I'll, I'll leave actually my favorite with the last. I'll give Big Phil a little love here, and I'll mention just two QBs who I think really are worthy of the MVP race. You know, we can definitely do the Jalen Hurts thing. You know, I, I don't I don't necessarily would put him in, like, the top of the list right now. I know he'll be one of the favorites because they have the best record in the NFL, and they are a really good football team, and he's had great opportunities to win a lot of big games, but I still think there's a lot of football to be played for him to kind of prove that he is, like, the MVP of the league because I don't think that he's played – to that degree now and I also don't want to you know give him that edge just because he should have won it last year you know this is its own year and to me right now I don't think that he is you know in consideration for the MVP you know two QBs that I think are in consideration for the MVP Dak Prescott being one of them 3,200 yards passing 26 TDs only a handful of interceptions this year 
And I think his growth at the position, you know, Mike McCarthy getting rid of Kellen Moore, this offense starting slow, maybe being a little bit basic, but allowing Dak, though, to play fast, play confident, make great plays and decisions consistently. And then for him to develop that confidence of making more plays outside of the pocket, using his legs and really just making more plays off the cuff consistently has really been super fun and entertaining to watch. And his momentum at the position has been outstanding this football season. And that is where you have to give Mike McCarthy a lot of credit for, you know, obviously saying, Kellen Moore, we appreciate everything you've done for this organization, but we're moving on. You know, he doubled down basically on himself to be the better quarterback guru and mentor in this situation to run a more balanced offense that fits Dak. And he's done that. And Dak really is, I think been the beneficiary of this because these two guys seem to be really in sync as far as how they go about dissecting defenses, Dak playing well, making great throws, great decisions, spreading the football around to all of their athletes on the football field now, highlighting CD Lamb, CD Lamb as, you know, the Q, uh, wide receiver one, excuse me, and really taking advantage of a specific looks to making sure that they're getting him the football consistently. And that's what I think is exciting. So I got to mention Dak Prescott uh, at the quarterback position for the MVP. The other one, you know, we would mention Brock Purdy because, you know, very similar to Jalen Hurts, you know, on a team that's winning, successful, good stats, all that kind of stuff, right? He's performing extremely well, you know, but again, very similar to Jalen. You know, I, I just don't want to say that, like, it's it's a shoe-in yet. I think they're, they're, we need to see a little bit more from both of those guys to kind of put them in that that realm or that sphere of being considered MVB contenders. But we got to mention him just because of what Jalen and Brock have done collectively for their football team and kind of making their teams go, right? The other QB, which we've, we can't just deny, man. And I don't care that he's a rookie. C.J. Stroud has just been ridiculous. You know, beating Denver the way that they did this past weekend, playing tough again, you know, the big-time throws consistently. Statistically, he's been crushing it. And, you know, 3,500 yards, 20 TDs on the air. He's playing awesome, man. Dude is playing phenomenal football right now. And I, I just – I feel like you'd be crazy not to at least have him in the discussion. But now to – where I believe and think that the league should be focusing its attention on as far as the MVPs right now. One would be Christian McCaffrey. I think Christian McCaffrey uh, has absolutely earned that consideration. A 1,000-yard rusher. He's almost like 200 yards over the next guy in the rushing category. 12 TDs, 51 catches on the air for about 430 yards, and then five TDs in the air. You know, he is... Him and Debo Samuel are the heart and soul of this football team. When Debo Samuel is healthy, we see a better version of Christian McCaffrey and vice versa. And Debo, to me, is absolutely like the cornerstone of that team with his physicality and his presence on the field. But also, too, he takes away the focus, you know, of just honing in on Christian, which allows Christian and that offense to get off more. So uh, even though I value Debo on the team's importance at times, really highly and kind of 1A, 1B there with Christian. Christian's performance throughout the football season this year, you know, as a runner, as a pass catcher out of the backfield, and really even as a true receiver at times, um, we really have to consider him 
as an MVP candidate for what he does for that football team because, you know, even his head coach even said that, you know, why is this guy not in consideration for it for everything that he does for this team? And, and, and I think he's, he's right in saying that. And if he believes it, it's probably true, too, because it does seem that the offense revolves heavily around the success around him in the run game, but also his ability to take advantage of, you know, man coverage versus a linebacker in obvious passing situations out of the backfield lined up in the slot. So Christian McCaffrey has to be considered. The next one is Tyreek Hill, who to me, like, to me, it's easy. He's the best football player in the NFL right now. He really is. 1,400 yards receiving, 12 TDs. He's averaging 15 a catch. It doesn't matter who he plays against. It doesn't matter what the defense is or the matchup if he's going against, you know, one of the best corners in the league. Dude is going to have success. Dude makes some ridiculous plays look so normal and just easy. One example would be this past week against the Commanders. He ran a post route. He's running into the back uh, left corner uh, across the field. Tua throws the football down the field, and he threw it so bad it was good. Like, that's how bad the throw was. He threw it about 10 yards to the right of where Tyreek Hill is. And for Tyreek Hill to be running full speed down the field, outrunning everyone drastically behind the defense, again, shocker, right? But to turn 180 degrees and to track the football over his shoulder, catch the football in stride, and then accelerate for a touchdown off of a really bad throw, just to me epitomizes that moment why this dude is different. We don't see players like this that often. In a league where I feel like we do just like obsess over the quarterback position and all that kind of stuff, and this is two quarterbacks that speak on the show consistently. What Tyreek Hill is doing on the football field this year is just unbelievable, and we cannot give him enough credit because we really will not see a talent like him, I don't think, for a long time. He truly is one of one. He truly is a, a generational football player. He is, to me, a Hall of Fame football player already with how he makes that tremendous of an impact on whatever team that he plays for with whatever quarterback that he plays for too. He elevates everyone around him like a great quarterback does. And with him being on the football field, every defense knows where he has to be, where he is on every single play, but yet at the same time with good play callers and also too just his unbelievable talent, you can't stop this dude consistently. So Tyreek Hill to me is like shoo-in obvious MVP right now if you ended the season. And I really think that it's going to be hard for anyone to slow him down the rest of the year because of just how unbelievable talented he is. want to transition and actually go into a little bit of college talk here right now. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, you know, appropriate to talk about it here just for a minute, um, you know, just because of it being in the news and being so – uh, right in our faces too as far as just what happened with the college football playoff and why Florida State was left out and it's really unfortunate because they absolutely earned the ability to play in the college football playoff but it just kind of shows you also too that like in the year 2023 like how stupid we are as a civilization too that 13 people in a room are the ones that are making a decision to decide who the best four football teams in the country are and then how they can let uh, one of the undefeated teams that beat every team that they played, you know, consistently and played well and all that kind of stuff and overcame adversity with losing their star quarterback and Jordan Travis, who was a Heisman uh, Trophy uh, finalist until he got injured. 
uh, it, you know, it's just wild to me. And, you know, I want to show some, you know, sympathy and empathy to the Florida State football fans, too, in that regard, because I think if you were the four seed and you played Michigan, I actually think that you would have beaten Michigan. I think that even with a backup quarterback, your skill set defensively, what you do offensively really matched Michigan's, you know, game plan and philosophy very well. And I really think that you probably would have won that game if you would have played them. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I think Michigan really lucked out uh, with, with you not being in the playoff because you would have been a problem for them. But this is where the business of college football comes into effect, too. You know, and I think the dollars and cents thing, too, of just like Texas being, being you know, a huge organization around the country. Alabama, of course, we know how we feel about them. Couldn't deny Washington and what they did when Michael Penix, even though it's kind of the same discussion with Florida State. They won every game that they were presented. They played against good opponents. They beat them. You know, it was really more so the fact that their quarterback is healthy. He's a Heisman finalist. And, you know, I think it just kind of plays more into the the uh, the P.T. Barnum. You know, it's a better show, you know, for everyone at home to enjoy when Michael Penix and the Washington Huskies are out there. Um and, and shout out to Kalen DeBoer, too, for having a phenomenal year and probably, to me, should be the coach of the year other than Mike Norvell. So uh, that would have been interesting. But, you know, with all that being said, with Michigan being number one, Washington number two, Texas number three, Alabama number four, you know, to think that Georgia wasn't the four best teams until, like, last week, that was interesting. You know, and, and this is where, again, it's a flawed system. It's a dumb system. Thank God that the bracket is expanding next year. And it's unfortunate, too, that this system had to obviously destroy the hopes and dreams and what was earned by Florida State and taking that away from them for the opportunity to play for a national championship because, you know, these guys thought that they weren't good. And I was someone, too, that said the four would have been Michigan, Washington, Texas, and Alabama after what took place um, in, in the SEC championship game before I even saw the Florida State game because I knew that they would struggle against Louisville. I knew Louisville was a tough opponent for them, both offensively and defensively. I knew that they weren't going to outscore them to the degree that made the playoff committee feel confident about it. And, and that's why I kind of knew, you know, going into it that Florida State was going to be, unfortunately, you know, screwed out of the opportunity of playing for a college football playoff. But, um, you know, it, it just it doesn't take away the sting, I guess, for Florida State. Just want the Florida State fans and really college football fans to know, too, that, like, we know that it's BS. And at the same time, a lot of fans, too, don't care either because they're also excited about the four teams that are left. But, again, just raises questions as, like, here we are, a highly civilized civilization, or a highly evolved civilization, and, you know, we, we have a committee that's picking the four best teams instead of just doing it like the NFL does where, you know, hey, be, be one of the top seven, go to the, the playoffs, and then we'll figure it out from there. You know, and this is why you have such great stories and dramas. The other point, too, before I forget, you know, think about it from this regard, too. What if the New England Patriots had to rely on a committee to get to the playoffs the first year that Tom Brady was the starter? The committee would have been like, who's Tom Brady? We're, we're not going to give him an opportunity to play in the playoffs. We don't know him. He, he's the weakness of this football team this year. What a blah, blah, blah. You know, and what's crazy is that by doing that, you would have taken away an opportunity like a Tom Brady, like the New England Patriots, to start something that, you know, hey, you can look at the analytics and say, oh, there's a .10 chance that this would have happened. But that's what's great about sports, though, too, is that by taking away that opportunity, 
you know, now we don't have those great moments that make sport awesome. You know, I even saw a stat, too, that was really interesting, too. When Debo Samuel caught that pass over the middle for a short four-yard completion, you know, uh, next-gen stats or whatever had a 0.1% chance of him scoring a touchdown. He did, you know. So that's where the analytics, the algorithms, all that BS, that's what makes sports great is that there's no way to truly calculate who wins or who losses when you're playing a game that relies so heavily on the human element that is unpredictable and awesome at the same time. So just wanted to kind of tap into that. Now, real quick, Heisman, Jaden Daniels, Marvin Harrison, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. Man, this is a tough crew. To me, 1A, 1B right now is Jaden Daniels of LSU and Michael Penix of Washington. Bo Nix is absolutely deserving, had a phenomenal year. Marvin Harrison Jr., phenomenal year. I think they're both going to have good careers in the NFL and, and have great days ahead of them. But what Jaden Daniels did for LSU this year, if he's not their quarterback, they're like a 6-6 six and six football team because that's how much they've relied on this dude. You know, to be able to have over 4,000 yards that's just like total rushing and throwing – uh, is extremely phenomenal. So I'm going to say that the Heisman Trophy winner for this year, I'm going to go with Jaden Daniels because I just think that LSU was elevated to a whole nother, you know, a, a level because of his play, his toughness, and his ability to make plays when they weren't there. And uh, I just think that he was a phenomenal show this entire year and really made LSU relevant when they weren't even in, in the same category of teams as some of the other teams that we've mentioned here. Um, this, this week's picks to, to finish out the day. So, uh, week 13, we, uh, we, what, what was our record? Let me see here. Well, my record overall right now is 11 and eight. Big Phil's record is 13 and six. Yeah, here, I got the sheet right here. I was sitting on the, on the paper by accident, but, uh, yeah. So green Bay, me and big Phil both picked green Bay. So we won that one. Uh, I love how he tried to be like, Oh, I'll give you one. I'll pick green Bay when he knew damn well that I wanted green Bay in that one. Uh, Indy, Tennessee, he picked, uh, Indy. I picked Tennessee. That was a close one. What an entertaining game that was Philadelphia versus San Francisco 49ers. Uh, big Phil, he picked Philly. I picked the Niners, got that one from him. Um, and then Denver, Houston, I picked Denver. He picked Houston. So that was a tough one. So 11 and eight on the year for me, big Phil three and six on the year. And then this week with the Eagles Cowboys, we actually both picked the Cowboys in this one. Bills chiefs. I picked the bills. He picked the chiefs Jags Browns. This was a tough one to me. And, and last night I learned too, why, you know, the Jaguars still not ready to be a Super Bowl contender because they just aren't good enough defensively uh, to make a run at it. And they also need more pass rushers too. Josh Allen's phenomenal, but they need more to go along with it. We're both picking the Browns in this one. And then Bucks Falcons. I got the Bucks, big Philly. He's got the Falcons. Uh, so that'll be an interesting one too, because that NFC South race is extremely interesting. Um, so that is our week 13 review, our week 14 picks to, to end the show. Next week, Big Phil says he will be back. He will recover from that freak accident he had with the damn alligator down the street. Um, but, you know, uh, hopefully he recovers from his injuries. He's back here with us next week. Thank you so much to the Believe Family, Believe Network, for taking care of us here at Sims Complete. Thank you to IMP Studios, obviously, for setting this up for us as always. I'm your host, Matt Sims. Like and subscribe on our YouTube page, Sims Complete. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, at PhilSims, at Sims Complete. We appreciate you tuning in again, and we'll see you again next week.
Toodles. Thank you.